Hi Kyle, it's Clay. I'm listening from a little county called Yorkshire in northern England. Currently driving north, uh, hoping to get some shoulder-high waves in the North Sea today. So yeah, just uh, recently got into your podcast through hearing about you through Chris Ryan. Yeah, just keep it up. Good topics. Looking forward to future episodes and uh, yeah, getting in the archives. Cheers, man. You. Hey, Clay. Thanks for sending that in, man. I love getting these messages from people all the way across the pond. Makes me feel good. Uh, so if anyone wants to send a message in, they can email it to info at kyle.surf. Uh, just record a few seconds of audio, and uh, I'll play it at the beginning of the show. And thank you to Chris Ryan for always shouting me out and sending good people my way. I was hanging with Chris the other night, and uh, I said, you know, it's funny how he'll go on he'll go on Joe Rogan's show, and Joe has this massive pool of people, and some of the people will trickle down a little waterfall into Chris's world. And then Chris will talk about me, and there's another little waterfall, and some of the people will trickle down from that pool into mine. Um, and it's, uh, it's a good thing. I, I like uh, generous people and uh, very grateful for it. Well, guys, a uh, quick update from me. I am heading down to Los Angeles uh, this week and will be there for over a month uh, prepping for the motherfucker awards just booking comedians tightening everything up we're making a bunch of videos so i'm working with editors down there to play each category that we uh hit at the show this year we're covering uh issues including fracking the private prison system plastic pollution the amazon fires campaign finance um we've got some presenters there including lawrence lessig kelly slater said he'd show up to present the water award uh fingers crossed that he really will (laughs) that's this project is so stressful you guys it's so stressful just but it's it's good i if i look at it like um i don't know if if i look at this project like it's an experiment it feels manageable to me because I'm learning so many skills. As a producer, I'm learning how to manage budgets and manage people and set deadlines uh, and, you know, just uh, learning a huge amount of skills, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And I'm also just so stoked on the people that are involved with this project um, and are, by and large, donating their time. Um, I've mentioned it before, but a few of the real key team players um, on this project uh, came forward as a result of listening to my podcast and Chris's podcast. Um, Chris, for those of you guys who don't know, co-created the Motherfucker Awards show with me. Um, So it's just a real good group of people, um, and we're tracking forward, and I think that it's going to be a fucking funny show. Uh, We pulled it off last year, and uh, I think we'll be able to do it again this year. Uh, even bigger and better. We're throwing our own after party. It's going to be a radical dance party. We've got a big step and repeat. There's going to be media. We have a PR agency that's helping us. 
to really blow this thing up. Uh, tickets are still available. They're going fast, but you can go to motherfuckerawards.com to get yours. Uh, and it's a gala, so dress to the nines because it makes the whole joke funnier when we can um, really celebrate these uh, corporations, these lobbyists, and these politicians for fucking Mother Earth. Um, we really want to congratulate them on their efforts. So bring a suit and tie and uh, a swanky dress, and uh, it's going to be a good time. December 3rd in L.A., uh, and hope to meet all of you there. Um, and if you have recommendations for people who I should get on the podcast while I'm down in L.A. Uh, all month, that's primarily what I'm going to be doing, um, just producing this show and uh, doing podcasts with folks. Anywho, um, I'm also doing, I, I've mentioned this before, but it's uh, I've been getting a lot of good feedback on it. I'm doing a, a weekly short story. I'm trying to improve my writing. So uh, once a week, I write a short story. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're just little snapshots into my world. And I email them out to all of you. So if that's something you're interested in, you can uh, go to my website, kyle.surf, and sign up for the the newsletter. Um, And... As always, huge thank you to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these podcasts. Santa Cruz Medicinals makes CBD products, and you can get 10% off by typing in the code name KYLE10. Um, one of my favorite products that they have is um, it's CBD-infused pain cream, and I keep some next to my bed because sometimes I get sore. Sometimes my lower back hurts, and it makes me feel old. Uh and a lifetime of, of leaning over a computer and just being a surfer with shitty posture uh, sometimes makes my, my body hurt. And uh, I have my lovely girlfriend rub that CBD-infused pain cream on my back, and it helps me. Um, so if that's something that you would like in your life, go to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name KYLE10, and get 10% off. Um, other than that, thank you guys everyone for donating. Um, this is largely a listener supported podcast. So for all of you guys who donate five bucks, 10 bucks on Patreon means a huge amount. Thank you very much. And with that, I'm going to introduce our guest. Um, this is a really fun conversation with, uh, a politician that I really like future politician. Um, Manu Koenig, uh, is running for the, Santa Cruz supervisor position uh, in District 1 of Santa Cruz, which is my district. And I've been been—I've wanted to get more local politicians on this show uh, because I think that as a whole, we spend way too much time thinking about national politics and not nearly enough focusing on local politics. Um, and even if you're listening and you're not from Santa Cruz, I think that you'll get a lot out of this episode because we were talking about um, issues like solving homelessness, solving the housing crisis, um, minimum wage, and does it really work? Um, you know, what are the um, the the processes to engage in with government um, and make your voice? really heard? Um, and what kind of power do we allot to these individuals? Um, 
who are controlling these budgets and and affecting our lives on um, in a real way. So um, Manu broke down a lot uh, of just how the poli- how the political process works and how local elections work. Um, and I really enjoyed it. He's incredibly articulate. Um, and we start the podcast off with him talking a bit uh, about his background, so I won't go into it there. But uh, you can reach out to him on his website. I will link to it below. And with that, I hope that you all greatly, thoroughly, ecstatically, exquisitely enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Manu Koenig. Kyle Chairman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Sweet, and away we go. Manu, are you named after the Manu jungle? No, I'm uh, named after the Polynesian word for bird. Okay, is it Manu, how do you pronounce your last name? Koenig. Koenig. Well, Koenig. Koenig. Yeah. Uh, And what kind of bird is this? Uh, Just generally the word for bird. Generally the word for bird in, you say, Polynesia? Polynesia. Uh, Yeah, Hawaiian, Tahitian, Samoan, any of those languages, yeah. Manu. So so there's, there's songs like... Imanu pukrua, eua pukumanu. Okay. And they're talking about the birds on the wind and sailing and stuff. So that's a great name. Yeah. Thanks. Um, when I was 14, I took a trip to the Manu jungle hmm. in Peru. Uh, it's a few hours outside of uh, Cusco, mm-hmm. uh, and it's one of the most ecologically diverse places on the planet. Um, and it was one of my first real big trips out there. We were on. It was a week long on the Amazonian River. Um, we would do these night hikes where the guides would show us these huge spiders. We got to see a Cayman wild otter fight one day. Wow. It was a mind-blowing experience for me. So uh, your your name is also associated with uh, Cayman spiders and uh, one of the more wild experiences of my life. That's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and are, are, were your parents... Um, Hawaiian or did they? Yeah, my mom's family's from Tahiti. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, my grandmother, great-grandmother both lived there uh, until they passed away recently, and my uncle still lives uh, down there with both my cousins. And then um, my aunt and her family lives in uh, Hanalei on Kauai. Oh, sweet. So we're a Pacific family. You are, indeed. Have you done much sailing yourself? Uh, I've done some. Uh, My my uncle um, has the Holopuni... Uh, sailing canoes and he he does big races from you know starting in uh, Hilo and going all the way to Kauai and then uh, uh, also around all the Tahitian islands so my dad's gotten in on some of those marathon races uh, I haven't had the time just yet but soon enough it's so badass yeah. I have a buddy uh, from Hawaii um, named Kamaki Worthington who uh, was on the uh, recreation of the Hokulea. Awesome. I don't know if you know about this the oh, yeah. trip where they're yeah. going all around the world, but he was the celestial navigator. Wow. So he could look up at the stars and tell you everything. He was like one of the, the best person people to good go stargazing friend. with. Yeah, good yeah. friend to have. It's so interesting, man. I mean, when you think about just how brave you would have to be to set out um, as 
an ancient Polynesian and just be like, all right, we're going out there. Mm -hmm. Hope we find something. (laughs) We found something. Awesome. I know. Now I'm like scared to just go to the West side. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) getting in my car. This seems like such a, an adventure. It's scarier every day. (laughs) Right. Um, so man, I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to hearing a bit about, uh, what you're doing and um just give people a little bit a little background on uh on who you are and kind of why you are go why are you going into politics man i know don't you did haven't you seen those before and after photos of barack obama uh, i have you're you're still looking like a strapping young lad i mean but yeah just the beginning of my career here yeah Uh, yeah no you're right And, and if you had asked me in college uh what the worst possible job was i'd probably say politician it's the most uh ineffectual possible role uh, my, my opinions changed a little bit since then, and I'll tell you how uh, that evolution took place. Um, but I'm a Santa Cruz local boy. I was uh, born off of Seabright and um, grew up... On what street? Seabright, Seabright. literally, 718. I, I was born in uh, 505 Cayuga, awesome. which wow. uh, goes parallel to it. Very close by, yeah. yeah. Um, grew up in Coralitos. Uh, I went to Mount Madonna School and then Aptos Junior High. Um, and uh, then I, w- I went away for... Oh, oh, sorry. I went away for boarding school in Massachusetts because my grandfather's from Worcester, huh. and uh, he, he wanted one of his grandchildren to go there. Um, came back and went to Stanford, which was always my dream growing up in California. And What did you study? I studied management science and engineering okay. and German because my father's side is German. So you're fluent in German? Uh, immer noch uh, ein bisschen fließig, okay. yeah. Nice. Um, and did you did you go to Stanford with a, d- a desire to then move into the tech world from there? Yeah, naturally enough. You know, growing up in this area, or you know, it's, it's surfing or tech, right? Right. Um, and so my yeah, either your, your restaurants trimming weed or right. going there to work go. for a tech tech company. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really uh, an interesting um, pl- situ like uh, just geographic situation that Santa Cruz is in because. Mm-hmm. We're just this kind of sleepy surf town. I mean, it's cha- changed a lot even since I've um, grown up here. But we are an hour away from the greatest wealth generator in the history of the world. Yeah. And people also don't really realize how much we've done right here in Santa Cruz. Right? I mean, did you know that Netflix was actually founded in Santa Cruz? I didn't know that. Yeah. Netflix. But they have their uh, their headquarters in Los Gatos. That's right. Uh, okay. But they tried to stay in Santa Cruz for as long as they possibly could. Uh, they were in Scotts Valley and eventually got sucked over the hill. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we basically started organic food and farming in Santa Cruz. Jack O'Neill invented the wetsuit. Uh, we sequenced the human genome here. Really? So, yeah. I did not know that we sequenced the human yep, genome. Yep, up at UCSC. They were the first uh, to sequence the genome. You know, there's um, a, a woman, gosh, I'm, I'm spacing on her name, but uh, she was recommended to me. She's one of the head researchers with CRISPR um, mm. and the this new gene technology, and she's up at UCSC. I'm always really surprised by the amount of just brilliant minds that come out of this town. Yeah, there is a bioscience revolution happening right here in Santa Cruz. It's going to produce a lot of new high-paying jobs and um, a lot of great research is coming out of it. Yeah. And with uh, organic farming, was that uh, Swantonbury Farms? Uh, Well, I'm thinking of CCOF, Okay. right? So the um, certified, oh gosh, I don't even know, certified something organic farming. Right. Um, And so they basically provide the certification for a lot of people. 
um, that they are organic. It's the label you see on um, any organic food. And so that really standardized the practice of organic farming nationwide. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a special experience to be able to just go right north of town and still have all that undeveloped land and Mm -hmm. go out there. And a lot of that's organic strawberries. And uh, Mm -hmm. just south of us, we got all the artichokes. Artichoke capital of the world, Castroville, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and so, so you went to Stanford with the view of going into tech. Right. That sort of management science and engineering was the closest thing I could do right. to study startups and, um, you know, the uh, just-in-time manufacturing and all the rest of the, the thinking there. Right. And then um, let's just jump into kind of the, your, when was, when was the moment that you decided that you wanted to go into politics? Well, let me give you a little more background. So right after college, I worked for an ad tech startup in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, that's when I realized that not every startup is changing the world, right? (laughs) And um, uh, so after doing that for about two and a half years uh, and being kind of frustrated with it, I decided, you know, um, I want to work on something that's impactful um, and that is improving uh, the lives, improving humanity. So I moved back to Santa Cruz to start my own company. Um, and which was called Civonomics. And the, the thought was, hey, how do we change uh, our culture to be more sustainable as fast as possible? Well, it comes down to policy. We've got to have good government. government uh, and we've got to develop these policies and get them passed faster. And we're just not seeing it from our politicians. So let's create a policy crowdsourcing uh, site. And uh, we'll, all, we'll get the ideas out there. We'll vote on them. Uh, we'll develop them. And then we'll implement them. All right, that was the idea. Um, and, you know, what we ran into was so much of uh, what we, you know, you just hear about now in terms of political stuff online, which is people are mean to each other online, right? As soon as you remove that face-to-face interaction, it's so much easier for people to kind of enter their own echo chambers uh, and just, I mean, think about it, like, what have your political activities been online? It's someone saying, hey, you got to sign this petition, right? You're like, we got to do this. <laughs> and like... Forget the other yeah. guys, right? Fuck like, Trump, fuck Bernie, right? Yeah. Fuck somebody, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? And there's never any like stopping and listening to what the other side of the story is and reaching yeah. some kind of a, a better, higher uh, conclusion. Yeah, not many people being like, let's all look inward and reflect for a few days and then come back to this forum. Right, right. Which, as I'll get into, is actually an important part of the process. <laughs> right. Um, to think before we talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, to listen to each other and to share stories with each other. Yeah. Crazy concept. Yeah. So, um, tell me, how did that go? So, so people uh, just lay out for me what that platform looked like, um, and yeah, how did it go? Yeah, uh, it went okay. We okay. we learned something, right? Um, ultimately, we failed, uh, but no failure is uh, you know it's just a stepping stone to success. Um, you know, we had trouble with the business model, right? You know, we didn't want to sell ads to people. Um, and we couldn't get organizations to really pay us enough to use the platform. Um, what we did do to make money was a lot of polling and survey research for local government agencies. So I became very familiar with the quote-unquote uh, public engagement process that we have today. Um, but uh, ultimately, we decided, you know, I, I also in the process learned about Robert's Rules of Order. What are those? It's, um, it's basically the way any 
government body operates, the city council, for example, right? And it's it's the process of I move that we do go for a surf sesh right now. Right. Okay. And then someone has to second that. Yeah. So that we even oh, agree. Yay, oh, no, yay. No, you, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. I mean, it essentially right. com- comes out of England and, and the regional parliament. So then someone has to say, yes, I second that. So, okay. Now, is there any debate on this? I move motion? that the tide is too high and we wait for two hours. That would be discussion, right? Okay. Uh, well, okay. That we that an, amend, an amendment, right? <laughs> okay. But we're get, we're getting into why this isn't always the best process, right? Which is it's technical at this. Uh, it can limit conversation as much as it actually uh, facilitates it. Um, and uh, so, I, for for a second, a brief moment in time, I thought, well, if we just amplify Robert's rules of order, that would be the solution. But it's still, it's just, it's not human centric enough, right? It's it's not user focused enough. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'll just take a break from this. Uh, I got into it because I wanted to advocate for good policy that I believe in. Um, so I'm just going to go find something that I can, uh, advocate for and write a ballot initiative for and pass. And what that uh, was is the use of the rail corridor here in Santa Cruz, right? So I believe that there should be uh, a trail on the corridor and not a train. And I'm a strong proponent of public transit, but you just can't fit both uses there. And uh, future transit technology, we can we will fit there. Uh, I'm sure, but it's not right. And and for people who aren't familiar with this issue, we have a, a rail corridor that goes throughout Santa Cruz, which is uh, a kind of special feature because a lot of the roads through Santa Cruz, if you're trying to get from one part of the town to the other, there's a lot of windy roads. There's a lot of traffic, um, and we have this straight line rail corridor, but. Um, we're not really using it at the moment. Right. And it's kind of it's derelict. There's a you know good opportunity of stepping on a heroin needle, yep. uh, or you know getting some bottles thrown at you or something like that. So there's been a movement of people who want to tear it up and turn it into uh, space for cyclists to be able to get across town um, in a safer way. But there's a debate because some people also want to put in a uh, new train that could get people across. Someone like yourself, you were just saying that you, there's not space for both a rail and a trail. So that's where we are. Is that a, a right. correct assessment? Yeah. Of, and just to uh, point out how important this corridor is, I mean, there's really three ways across Santa Cruz County, north to south, right? There's the highway, there's SoCal Freedom, and then there's the rail corridor. And the third option, the rail corridor, is completely unused today, as you said. So it's it, it's an essential part of our transportation future. Okay. Um. All right, so you got involved in that issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you realized that that you made a good point earlier that policy really is how a lot of these issues move. That's the the lever to get certain funding in place to create the rules. But that conversation for people to um, engage with policy is very limiting, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds really boring to get involved. And it sounds like you know sitting at a at some kind of assembly for six hours to hear a comment that, or, you know, to go up and make your yeah. little statement yeah. and, you know, who has time for that and yeah. who thinks it's really even going to matter. But, yeah. uh, these policies really do affect our lives in dramatic ways. Yeah. I mean, it's the opportunity to reprogram society. I mean, think about some of the biggest problems of our time, right? I mean, if it's climate change, right? 
a, a carbon tax would do wonders, especially one that's you just give back to people at the end of the year, just e- equally, right? Everyone gets a thousand dollar check at the end of the year from the carbon tax, uh, but you're incentivized to avoid buying another gallon of gas, right? That single policy would have huge effect. Um, think about wealth inequality, right? What if we restructured the tax code so that corporations uh, actually paid less taxes if they did better by their employees, right? So that uh, maybe the standard corporate tax rate, let's just say it's 50%. And if your company is at least 75% employee owned and you pay everyone at least $18 an hour and uh, you know everyone has a good health plan or maybe if you even provide some employee housing, okay, well now your the corporate tax rate's dropped to 35%, right? I mean, money does yeah. incentivize people. And so with these simple policies, we could fix some of the huge problems that we face. Yeah, and what issue what industries do we choose to subsidize, mm-hmm. right? We are now uh we sell a lot of these very unhealthy products, like corn and meat, uh at a loss because they're heavily subsidized. Um and the problem that I see th- is that Right now, it's very difficult to get a politician to do what you want them to do unless you pay them. Right. So the laws are being created to benefit multinational corporations at the expense of people. Mm -hmm. Right, and because it's so expensive to get elected. Right. I mean, even here in the county, uh, so I'm running for county supervisor. Um, Some guy asked me the other day, well, what are you going to be supervising? Uh, It's an $830 million budget. Um, the county looks after all the, uh, local roads in the unincorporated area. The, um, largely looks after the highway, um, is the primary, uh, entity responsible for homelessness. Um, right. There's a $340 million health and human services budget, um, and controls planning and zoning for an area of 120,000 people, right? That's twice the city size of the city of Santa Cruz. Uh, I'm just trying to do a podcast, and that's hard. Woo! Yeah. Man, get a blog up there every once in a while, working overtime. Yeah, I, I got a blog regularly, too. Uh, so that's a lot. Right. And how are you running this campaign? Um, well, just trying to... I mean, it's it's all of the above, right? It's social media. It's walking. A lot of it is face-to-face with voters. Uh, it's a good email strategy. It's a good um, mail strategy. Uh, it's... Um, earned media, right? Um, ultimately, it's funny when we opened uh, the bank account for the campaign, uh, we had to describe what the quote unquote business did. And uh, I think it was my treasurer who said, uh, selling, uh, selling ideas, buying votes. Right. <laughs> Which I like is, that. Yeah, basically what it comes down to. And uh, so this, these campaign, are you full-on campaigning right now and when is the vote yeah full-on campaigning and uh the vote is march 3rd it's the primary um so uh there's five candidates in the race for this position and if anyone gets 51 percent or 50 plus one percent or more in march they win outright otherwise the top two go on to november uh the general election in 2020 and how are you financing your campaign uh fundraising from individuals. So we actually cannot take uh, donations from corporations. Um, That's with the local election law, and the limit is up to $500 per person. Got it. So you cannot take any kind of donation more than $500 from a single person. Right, Kyle. If you were like, you know what, Uh, I love all your policies, Manu. I want to give you $5,000 right now. I'd be like, sorry, I can only take $500. What if I 
were a corporation and created a political action committee to mm-hmm. say uh, Santa Cruzers for Manu, yeah. and we just decided to make a bunch of nice ads for you and against your opponent. Would that be legal? Uh, yeah, that's perfectly legal. Okay. I mean, I, I couldn't coordinate with you. Technically, um, you could not coordinate right. with my super pact. Otherwise, that would be illegal. Right. But of course, I can say to the general public that it would be great if someone ran an, an attack ad on my opponent right. uh, for whatever his stance on uh, for, for not creating more bike lanes. Right. Okay. Um, and do you have any such independent entities that are supporting you? I do not. You do not. Um, although some folks have said, geez, uh, you know, we really should create one, um, you know, because really what what uh, I'm going to be up against is union money, right? Unions can spend a lot. They're sort of one of the de facto, I mean, they're not a pack, right? But um, they often will drop $40,000 or more in a local election like this. Huh, so unions can drop a lot money, even if, so how does that work? Well, and membership organ, well, they would, is the same same way as an independent right. expenditure committee, essentially. Okay, um, but they're defined differently than a, a corporation. Mm-hmm. But they could drop forty thousand dollars on a single election, yeah. as he, as an as a single entity. Correct. Okay, and are there any other entities that can drop large amounts of money um, on a, an election that we might not be aware of? Hmm. They would typically organize as okay. a PAC, as a right. 501c4. Got it. And, you know, even as far as how the unions actually make their expenditures, I'm not sure if they do that through, uh, if, if they're enabled to do that as a membership organization or if they even have a 501c4. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of a political action committee in and of itself makes sense to me. Like, if I like what you're doing and I want to get together with a group of friends and try and get you elected, um, I don't see the harm in that. The harm that I see is if I am ExxonMobil and I uh, just try and put the face on of Santa Cruz, Santa Cruzers Mm -hmm. for Manu, and then, you know, you get elected and then you think, huh, maybe ExxonMobil wants me to open up the Monterey Bay Sanctuary Mm -hmm. to some drilling, which Mm -hmm. is the issue that, we are running into right now with uh, national politics. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of national politicians that are um, writing legislation to benefit uh, multinational companies. Right, which is really the opposite of the way it should work. Right. Government yeah. should regulate corporations. Right. Um, so uh, you said you. I wanted to talk about um, homelessness mm-hmm. because this is a, an issue that um, is... I would say the issue in Santa no, Cruz. Definitely the number um, one issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so when I knock on someone's door, um, I always ask them what the top issue is to them. And more than 40% say homelessness. So it's it's the leading issue for right. sure. Okay. Um, how are you going to solve it? How are you, how are you gonna make homelessness go away? Right. Please. Well, help uh, us. We, we need a mental health facility and um, and an addiction treatment facility. And, um, you know, we all or many people will point to, well, you know, everything was fine before Reagan closed the mental health clinics. Well, let's bring them back. Um, You know, it's probably going to be a tri-county solution between Monterey County, San Benito County and Santa Cruz County. Um, I think we probably need to buy about 100 acres of farmland somewhere in the south part of the county that's close to all three um, and a place where there can be long term treatment. 
uh, just the other day, uh, a, a doctor presented at the Monterey Bay Economic Partnership uh, sort of State of the Region Conference, and she was talking about slow health, right? The fact that people take time to heal, and we should think about bodies as plants rather than machines. And uh, if we just provide a supportive environment, then people can pretty much heal themselves. But they need time. And she worked at Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco, which is on 68 acres of land, has an aviary, uh, some farm animals, cute little chapel, various things that you could say sort of feed the soul. Um, and uh, it's a county-run hospital. It's basically one of the last remaining almshouses in the country, right? A place for the sick and the poor to go. And we just don't have those kind of safety net of safety nets anymore. And as a result, all those people are on our streets. And we'll take someone to the hospital and perform emergency surgery on them. And then when they're done, you know, maybe they'll be in a, um, a, a sniff, a, a, um, a nursing facility for like a night or two, but then they're back out on the street. Oh, yeah. I have a number of friends that are firefighters and nurses in Santa Cruz, and it seemed overwhelming the amount of homeless people that they deal with on a single night and some and a lot of them just uh people coming in because they want a warm place to sleep mm-hmm. right so the the hospitals get overrun and then they send them right back out and the problem continues mm-hmm. so what would it take to uh build a facility like that I mean, it's going to take a fair amount of money, but you know, it's not like we don't have some money, right? right. As I said, it's three hundred and forty million dollar health and human services budget in the county. Wow! Um, and so I think a lot of uh, the services that we administer today would actually become a lot cheaper and more efficient to administer if people were just had a place that they could be uh, a roof over their head, and um, you know, we weren't spending as much in emergency services. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, at that budget, that's. I mean, l- it certainly l- makes sense. Let me throw some other numbers out there, right? So um, our county recently received $10 million uh, in homeless emergency uh, action program from the state. I think I'm getting that acronym right. It's HEAP. Uh, And, you know, we basically took that money and we sprinkled it out on all the existing programs we're doing today. Um, Well, meanwhile, if you check the parcel map in the south part of the county, there is literally a thousand acre parcel with an assessed value of $3 million dollars. So we probably could have bought that outright for with the money we just received from the state, and we'd be on our way to establishing a new uh, mental health and addiction treatment facility here in the county. Wow. Um, going back to uh, people and our ability to impact these issues and our ability to um, make our voices heard, I mm-hmm. think that apathy is um, a big um, mental framework that we're up against as mm-hmm. we, we were talking about, it's not a very empowering medium for me to, uh, you know, go down to the, um, the, what's it called? Not the courthouse, but where do I make my voice heard? Yeah. The, Jesus count, the Christ, county this building, is the county building yeah, this is, or, or city hall. Yeah. I thought it was Facebook. I thought that was the place, <laughs> but, um, but you know, I go sit down there for, for five hours to get a two minute comment yep. and to, for what, to, for yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, for what I, you know, people are busy. Um, what, what would you recommend for, um, people do to really make their voices heard? What, um, works and what is just kind of screaming down, uh, down the drain? Yeah. So at the end of the day, elections work, and that's why I'm running. 
right? I mean, there are so many issues, right? And I tried the direct democracy thing, right? I tried writing an initiative, uh, and we passed it. It was Measure L in Capitola, and that's great. What um, was that? It, well, to to use the Capitola trestle for bikes and pedestrians, hmm. and by implication, not a train. Okay. And uh, so you wrote that bill. I I helped to, to write submitted. it. Yeah. Okay. And you know the the problem with initiatives is they're so rigid. Right, you have to write the thing like typically at least nine months out before the election, and hopefully you talk to people from the opposite side because ultimately they're going to be uh, throwing criticism at the bill. Um, but you know, one or the, the initiative, I should say. Um, but you know, once you've collected those signatures, that you're kind of locked and loaded, and you can't change it. You know, and so it avoids the whole typical process of amendment and improvement that you know, otherwise our legislative process allows. Um, so it's really, it's really not the answer, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, and that's why I'm running for office because now, you know, as basically this is the only full-time paid legislative position in the county. Wow. Yeah. Um, and as I said, it touches all these major issues, homelessness, transportation, housing, right? So if we want to make a quantum leap as a community, we have to do it through a new representative. Right. Uh, and who's our current representative? Uh, it's John Leopold. What do you think of him? Um, you know, he's a nice enough guy. He's been in office for 12 years. And uh, there's no term limits, by the way. No term limits. Yeah, and that, boy, does that make things hard because um, you know a big part of the. So you could be a lifer. You could be a lifer. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That is so strange that we have positions like that. Um, I really didn't give it the thought that kind of thought until um, I found uh, until I started paying attention to our Supreme Court justices and. Uh, people started saying, hey, Trump is appointing all these new Supreme Court justices. I'm like, oh, why is that important? Like, because they're in it for life. Yeah, that's terrifying. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, it's challenging going up on a, against an incumbent because everybody, you know, first of all, it's it's unlikely that you're going to beat them just based on pure name recognition because a lot of people, they get to the ballot uh, and on, on election day and, you know, okay, they know who they want to vote for for president and, um, you know, maybe they know about a few of the major initiatives or, uh, but then when you get down to the local races, it's like, what does the supervisor do again? Um, this guy has supervisor under his name, so I guess I'll just vote for him. Right. And that's how incumbents win over and over again. Um, so, you know, my big issue with, uh, supervisor Leopold is that, um, he, he hasn't, delivered the transformative transportation policy that we he just hasn't addressed anything from a systematic level you know he's kind of been good on a few individual projects but we need systems thinking and we need policies that are going to uh you know fundamentally change the way we build housing in this county address homelessness and how we move around transportation system Hmm. and um why do you think that he has has been bad on that? Like, what have been those those sticking points? What uh, I'm, I'm, so, trying, I'm trying to think of a good way to to frame this question. Like, is it that yeah. he his funding has come from various mm. sources that want him to be doing other things? Is it just a a moral issue, a competency issue? Because on you know. Um, how do I put this on a national level? Like mm-hmm. if, if someone's election is, and their campaign is financed by 
a bunch of multinational corporations, mm-hmm. I see why they're going to make certain policies and why they're going to implement that. Like, and I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to just look at issues and people through the lens of incentives. So totally. what what are his incentives yep. to do certain things versus yep. what are your incentives? You know, mm-hmm. and and um, just that's the only way that I can try and have some sort of semblance um, in understanding uh, the election process and our our politics in general. Great question. I think there's two in uh, sort of incentive structures that uh, John Leopold's responding to. Um, the first is basically our local machine, right? The sort of, I mean, I guess you could call it liberal, local, democratic machine. Um, you know, because campaigns are hard work, right? And so you just need the people who are going to walk for you. You need the people who are going to endorse you. You need um, kind of all the campaign machinery around, you know, getting your, your lit pieces printed. Um, and so locally here, you know, out of the Democratic Central Committee and a lot of the other groups that orbit that, um, we, we have sort of the, the local political machine. And um, it's just been slow to uh, change from a policy perspective on things, right? So I would say, for example, the machine supports the train. Right. And part of that is because they were involved in the decision to buy the rail corridor and promise the state when we took $10 million from them that we would build a train in that corridor according to uh, basically build out the state rail plan. And as we've done study after study since that acquisition that showed, hey, actually, rail transit's not really feasible there, they haven't been willing to change their minds. Because they got $10 million from the state that they don't want to give back? Right. Okay. But we should just give it back rather than spending a billion dollars on a train. You know, it's sort of like <laughs> spend a dollar to save a hundred dollars, you know? Right. Right. Okay. Um, so there's the the machinery there. Uh, are there any other incentives that you think he's he's responding to and, and mm-hmm. reasons why you don't think that he has tackled, um, let's say, the, the homelessness issue in a way that you would? Yeah. Okay. So for homelessness, um, the issues are really, or the incentives are really around the districts, right? Um, so for better or worse, we're chopped up into five districts in the county. And uh, District 1, which we're in right now, includes Pleasure Point, Live Oak, SoCal, uh, De La Viega, Prospect Heights, um, Happy Valley, uh, Old San Jose Road. Um, it's, it's kind of everything right in the middle of the county. Um, and so when it comes time to talk about a new uh, treatment facility, navigation center, anything that would serve the homeless population, uh, you're incentivized as a supervisor to want to keep it out of your district to keep the neighbors happy because, of course, no one really wants that right next to their house. NIMBY. NIMBYism. Yep. Alive and well. And so it's the same issue when it comes to housing. Uh, It's, hey, you know, supervisor, I want you to downsize that project. Uh, You know, I'm worried about all the traffic it's going to cause. You know, what about my neighborhood? I'm all for affordable housing, but just not next to me. Right. That's the kind of the argument. And and that's exactly uh, what our current supervisors respond to, including Supervisor Leopold. So do all five districts vote for the supervisor is that they all vote for their own supervisor for, okay yeah. so there's all so there are five are there five different supervisors in santa cruz correct yeah okay and yeah. leopold is the one in district one yeah first district supervisor got it all right yeah this world is becoming clear to me good why do we have five uh are we a gerrymandered city 
Uh, there's some weird boundary lines for sure. Oh my God, I um, know we are gerrymandered. Yeah, like for example, for District One or I, the first district, like the jewel box, like, it includes everything up to Wharf Road, but the jewel box is cut out. Huh? I, why I don't know. Um, you know, Scotts Valley is kind of cut in half by this district, so uh, everything east of Highway 17 is included in the first district. Everything west of it is in the 5th District. Are there uh, redistricting, are any of these districts up for rezoning anytime soon? I do not know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they have to be, uh, you know, quote-unquote rezoned, uh, that redrawn uh, every now and then. I, I forget exactly when it was that they were last redrawn, but yeah. How many people are, are running in Zone 1? Uh, five, five, including the incumbent, yeah. Okay. And myself. And uh, are you running as a, a Democrat? Uh, I'm a registered Democrat. Okay. Um, and but the the uh, office is nonpartisan, so it won't. It is. It okay. Won't have a a, a Republican party name right. next to my name on the ballot. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, because my understanding of of the issue with gerrymandered districts um, is that it makes it very difficult for an incumbent on the other side to potentially get elected because the the district is let's say so blue or so mm-hmm. red mm-hmm. that they would just never vote for um, someone on the other side. So it just pushes people to go further and further to, um, to extreme, the extreme, yeah. right? And it's very difficult for a centrist to emerge. Well, yeah, and I think the way we see the problems with districts in our county is more. Uh, the fact that all five of our supervisors are white men. Hmm. Um, and that's because, you know, the majority of people in each district would choose, you know, end up choosing a white man to be their representative. Uh, how would you solve this problem? I mean, I, th- I think ranked choice voting is a good solution. What is that? It's where instead of voting for one person on the ballot, you get to say, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, and this is my third choice. And so without this... Uh, a third party is always going to be a spoiler. You, you almost will never have third parties emerge without ranked choice voting. Um, it's gaining ground, right? They've done it in Cambridge, Massachusetts for their city elections for a long time. Uh, Maine just passed it as a way that they elect their senators um, and um, the state assembly and senate. Uh, and New York's actually, right, you know what? I think they're voting today. New on York's voting today. Whether or not to use ranked choice voting uh, for city elections. I, I I can't remember if it's city or, or state or federal elections, but they're voting on it in New York today. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Actually, San Francisco uses ranked choice voting as well. Uh, for so the it makes it more difficult. It makes it easier for a third party uh, candidate to emerge. Right. That's right. cool. Because you would actually. So today, um, let's say there was a Green Party candidate that you really liked uh, on the 2020 ballot um, and you voted for them. You'd essentially be throwing your vote away. There's ne- that candidate is just not going to get fifty percent plus one of the vote. Um, but if it was a ranked choice ballot, you could say, "Well, this is my first choice, and if they don't win, then or if they can't win, then I'll assign it." You know, then I want whatever Elizabeth Warren, and then after that, uh, you know, somebody else. Actually, what the other thing it would allow you to do is run multiple candidates from the same party. at the same time right so it kind of collapses the need for a primary because 
you can just do you could do you one can, big vote. Yeah, exactly. And say I want Manu as my number one. I want mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren as my number two. I want, you know, but it yep. would obviously all be for the same position. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so sometimes it's called instant runoff voting because it's essentially collapses the primary and the general into one hmm. election. I uh, had a guy on my podcast named Jason Hara who runs uh, an organization called Equal Citizens. This is Lawrence mm. Lessig's organization. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? Yeah. Um, and they, he was saying that in New York, they um, have, uh, gosh, how do you define it? Um, it's basically a system where you're, where they have, de- uh, referred to it as democracy dollars. Mm-hmm. You know about this? So democracy dollars allow you to, um, it, there's a fund set up so that if you um, want to donate to, let's say, Manu or something like mm-hmm. that, there's um, they the government will put more of will they like match your donation in yeah. some way to try and uh, curtail the corporate money in politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think the idea is no corporate money. Every citizen gets a hundred dollars to spend right. on whatever candidates they want. Yeah. It seems like kind of an interesting way to yeah, yeah set no, it up. It's... Anyway, um, that was off topic, but I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm saying I'm throwing every piece of political information I have at you just mm-hmm, to keep up. Mm-hmm. Like, well, right. Mana, did you know that in 1865 <laughs> there was this very obscure ballot initiative? Yes, of course, I did know about that. <laughs> yeah, um, well, to bring it back, you know how ranked choice voting is relevant to our county. Like, so the solution here would be let's get rid of districts entirely. And just have all five supervisors elected at the same time. And uh, then what you would get is, um, you know, a majority of voters who wanted a woman or a Latino or uh, any, you know, any define your group, right? Um, Surfer. Um, someone who more closely. I don't don't want a surfer elected. (laughs) (laughs) We like the idea of it, but nah. I I think you'd probably be a pretty good candidate. I saw John Leopold down at Pleasure Point once carrying a surfboard for one of his uh, big uh, uh, campaign things. I'm like, huh, hmm. you really surf? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I, don't, I actually don't know much about him, so I don't want to be hmm. talking shit. Um, but uh, from here, mm-hmm. um, a couple other things that I wanted to, to ask you about. You know, we, we kind of, you, you said, you know, voting, that's one way to really make your voice heard, mm-hmm. um, get engaged in politics. Beyond that, what can people do? As you, as you said, I think that um, you know, for a uh, position like county supervisor, a lot of people are f- floating by it on their way to vote for uh, you know t- t- Trump or um, some of these larger positions. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you recommend people engage further um, in the uh, political process? Yeah, I mean, just understanding what positions, what, what a supervisor does and why it's an important role. I mean, like I said, it is our, it's our only elected official sitting here in Pleasure Point. Only one. Yeah. Um, and locally, of course. Um, so just, you know, just a modicum of understanding is good. Um, you, you know, as far as how we make citizen input more effective in the big picture um you know i think we need systems change um we need instead of the public input process today and you've talked about it as far as going down to the the out five hours long board of supervisors meeting i was there from 9 a.m to 
pretty much 12.30 today and they were still going when I left. I got a couple two-minute comments in. Um, you're right. It's, that's not terribly effective. And like I really saw that um, uh, with the, the trail issue in the corridor, right, and advocating for, for the Greenway solution. And we would have by far the majority of the people in the room advocating uh, for a trail-only solution and it wouldn't affect the way that the supervisors or the, the regional transportation commissioners, in this case, voted. Um, so we need to reprioritize how public com- input and public conversations happen. Um, and I think the solution to that is these citizen assemblies, uh, wisdom councils, deliberative democracy. Wisdom councils. Yeah, they, they goes by different that names. That sounds very Santa Cruz. Very Santa Cruz, <laughs> Yes. Um, but the idea is essentially that you uh, you can think about it like creating a proactive jury, okay? Um, so you randomly select people from the voter rolls, uh, get them into one room, um, so you know everyone has has equal opportunity to participate, uh, and then you're looking for about twelve to eighteen people, and you say, okay, guys, um, what are we gonna do about homelessness, right? Based on your experiences, you know, and whatever it is, this $340 million budget we've got, and here's what we're spending it on now, you, you have a few experts kind of give them the ground rules of the issue, uh, and you say, now, what would your top five solutions be? And in addition to the solutions, you know, go ahead and come up with any data you can think of that's relevant, um, uh, come up with your top concerns and a problem statement to frame this, but, you know, go, five, top five solutions. And... What's remarkable is actually just how much information every individual has just from their own lived experience living in this community, right? I mean, it's the stories of, you know, for example, my fiance and I were going to dinner the other night and some crazy guy jumped out at us from the bus station, called me a faggot and like almost like attacked me. And so everyone's got stories like that. Yeah, I do. I do comedy a few nights a week down downtown. That happens to be every Monday, Wednesday, <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. I can never come up with a good comeback. If you were in the audience, I'd fucking smoke them. But then after my set, I'm like, ah, damn it. You zinged me. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of, I mean, there's a a lot of, right, uh, innate wisdom in uh, in the populace. And so then you say, okay, then that group, that council presents to a larger assembly of people, say, here are the top five ideas we came up with. Uh, they get a little feedback on them. And then basically you codify it and say, all right, politicians, you go make this happen, right? Here's what we want to happen. Uh, and you, as my elected representative, go turn it into policy and all that other wonky stuff that I don't totally understand. But you've had a chance to hear me now. Mm. And the difference is that about this process is it brings people together to make decisions and create ideas and to listen to each other. And... Um, there's been sort of a lot of resonance around this and that even uh, at Stanford, there's the Center for Deliberative Democracy has emerged. And they recently uh, did something similar uh, called America in One Room, where they got 500 Americans from all over the country, flew them all to Texas. I guess the flights were cheap or something. And uh, they had them participate in small group sessions talking to each other about issues and they polled them beforehand, and they polled them afterwards. And what they found was that both conservatives and liberals moderated their opinion 
after talking, right? So conservatives were uh, like 10% more likely to think that, yeah, legal immigrants should be able to live in the country while they're applying for immigration status or, or for uh, citizenship status. And liberals even were like, wow, uh, maybe a $15 hour minimum wage doesn't make sense all across the country. Um, everyone uh, across the board support for a carbon tax went up. Um, so it just it shows some promising signs of you know a good way to break down the partisan divide. What do you know? It's look somebody in the eye and tell them your story. Yeah, it doesn't work as well as Facebook. Yeah, well, it looks it works a lot better. Yeah, right. All right, it works a lot better than Facebook. Um, who do you uh, report to as supervisor? Do you are, are there other people in you know above you or in uh, that are more involved in state uh, politics that you're meeting with? How what do those uh, interactions look like? The only person that you report to a supervisor is the electorate. If uh, so, if you look at the um, the org chart, literally for the county, the uh, the electorate's on top, then the supervisor. What is the electorate? You, me, me. Okay. Voters. Huh. Right. The people who vote for the supervisor and So I'm your boss. Yeah. Right? Okay. Right. I mean you and everybody else. Me and everybody else. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, right. And so that's why it's so important that we help the electorate, you and everybody else, decide what it is they want done. Right. It's like a public a public lands issue. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the land belongs to everyone. And I'm like, I don't really believe that. Really? Right. Doesn't it? Like, no, really. All of this public land, it's yours. You just got to own it. Right. And you got to own your decision on what you want done with it. Right. And so the, the problem is today, and you know, I saw this through all the public engagement work I did with government agencies, is that it's basically many to one, Right. All right, electorate, you know, we're going to do another uh, public engagement charrette here. Why don't you tell us what you want? And then we'll process all that and figure it out. Right. Right. But there's never a chance for really people to talk to each other and figure it out and f- then determine higher level solutions. Right. Um, so so that's what this process enables. Okay. The, the process of, is, this, it, of this America in one room Yeah, process. America in one room, Citizen Assembly, Wisdom Council, if you want the, the Santa Cruz word. Um, yeah, it provides many-to-many thinking. Right. Right. And do, uh, would you create your own, or would that be something that would happen independently, that like someone like uh, me, uh, someone like myself, would need to create this, let's call it a Wisdom Council, and say, all right, every... Uh, second Thursday of the month, we're all going to meet here and talk about this, the issues that we care about, and then we're going to bring it to uh, city right. assembly. Right. Well, that's kind of, you know, that's how groups and, you know, parties, in a, in a sense, work today, right? It's citizens organizing around something they care about. Um, and, uh, you know, those are all special interest groups, if you, you know, oddly enough. Um, so, the diff- what I would do is actually implement it as part of the regular county government process. Hmm. Is say we are going to hold four councils a year, on you know, and actually, hey, you tell us what you want to talk about. Um, you know, people vote for, hey, I want to talk about homelessness. I want to talk about transportation, specifically Highway One. What we're going what we're going to do about it. I want to talk about uh, green building, whatever it is, uh, rent control, sure. Um, and then we'll have a citizen assembly specifically on that topic. Uh, so you say that you're reporting to the electorate. 
How big mm-hmm. is the budget that you are managing? $830 million. And you can do whatever you decide with that. Write the rules. That's you right. You get to write the rules. Supervisors write the rules. Huh. Yeah. And, and here's why it's so powerful, right? I mean, because we are a petri dish for democracy and for new policy. And you might remember um, not so long ago, this county, Santa Cruz County, passed a ban on uh, the little shampoo bottles that you get in hotels. Well, guess what? That policy was adopted at the state level. They used our local policy as a model for it. And then Marriott was like, well, we can see which way the wind's blowing here. We're going to get rid of them throughout our entire hotel chain. Wow. Yeah, so it's what we do here really matters. Yeah, and and that's why I I hope that for people who aren't even uh, listening from Santa Cruz, Issues like homelessness um, and you know, housing, rent control, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about rent control, did we? We didn't talk about rent control, no. Or, house, time you have? or housing in general. We've been going for I, fi- no, 50 minutes. I'm, got, I'm good. I got, an, I got another 30 minutes or so. Okay, great. This is fun. I'm uh, getting a great education in uh, politics right now. Cool. Um, so uh, let's talk about rent control. That's a sure. big issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I you know, I consider myself... A centrist, and here's why: I think that uh, conservatives ignore climate science, and liberals often ignore economic science, right? And so the problem with rent control is you're making what you want more of more expensive, right? I mean, we want more rentals, but you're making it harder for someone, a landlord, to provide that rental. So you're disincentivizing the creation of of what you want. So it's it's not a good policy from that perspective. Um, I would say let's okay let's use economic theory to our benefit um how about a vacation uh sorry a vacancy tax right i mean especially here in the coastal zone and i really see it walking around with the voter rolls mapped out right i'm like wait there's no voter in this house that's because it's a second home that person comes here i don't know maybe a couple weeks a year oh you look all along east cliff and west cliff they're empty there's what do you think? Maybe twenty percent of those houses are occupied. Oh, like the huge ones, right along. Yeah. you know the best yeah. houses the in Santa va- Cruz, the most valuable homes. Yeah. right, right. So let's tax people if they're not going to live here, eat in our restaurants, pay the sales taxes that would be generated from those, uh, hold hold on to these second homes because you know they're wealthy and they can for many generations and never have the property value uh, you know increase from a, from a sale. Right, Prop 13 limits the amount property taxes can go up every year. So the longer you hold them, the better the deal you have. Um, so yeah, so Vancouver has a vacancy tax of 1%. You've got to apply every year and show that you've lived in your home at least six months or rented it out long-term at least six months out of the year. And if you can't prove that, you pay an extra 1% in property taxes. Uh, and Oakland has this as well. They recently passed it. Uh, it's specifically for vacant land. If you're not doing something something with your property, then you pay six thousand dollars a year just for right. uh, you know for not doing something. And you think that the economics of rent control don't work out? Telling a landlord how much they can or cannot charge for their house that uh, that doesn't work. I just think it's problematic because you disincentivize renting. Right. Um, and the other thing you do is you essentially take whatever it is, it's about, I think, 25% of, of the rental market that, uh, uh, or the housing market that rent control will actually affect, right? Because it doesn't affect single-family homes. Those are excluded under the Costa-Hawkins Act in California. And it doesn't affect uh, multifamily uh, 
projects built after 1995, right? Because they didn't want it to affect new housing development. Hmm. So it's really just kind of this little multifamily homes built before 95, uh, so apartments and such, um, that it affects. So it's about 25% of, of the market. And okay, so now you've kind of isolated that section of the market. Anyone who has one of those rentals is going to hold on to them for as long as they possibly can. And everyone else is just going to get harder. Right. Just, the rents are going to go up higher because there's less supply for those people. Um, so, and no, and the, the 25% of people who have rent control now are disincentivized from helping us to come up with a solution that works for everyone. Right. No, so I like, think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some of those uh, well-intentioned uh, issues that people uh, talk about, but then don't really work out. I was also like, I had never thought much about um, minimum wage and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was always like, yeah, for sure. Raise the minimum wage. And there was a, a guy named Peter Schiff. You know who that is? He's a, he's an economist um, who gained a lot of popularity because he predicted the 2008 crash, but mm. he is strongly um, against uh, having there be a raised minimum wage because um, his argument is that it basically takes out the bottom rung of the ladder for someone who, Mm -hmm. let's say they're 16 years old, just starting out, but they're not worth $15 an hour. That employer then isn't going to be able to hire them so that they can move up the ranks. Um, And when that, uh, I believe is 15 bucks an hour, minimum wage got implemented in um, Venice uh, just this last year. It was, because I spend part of my my time down in LA, it was um, within like a month or two, a huge amount of the restaurants right on Main Street in Venice went under mm. because they couldn't pay right. for all of their employees to be making this amount of money. Um, and it just, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, these issues are more complicated than we, they seem at first glance. Totally. Yeah. And, and I've been an employer and, uh, same thing, like employing kids right out of college or, uh, even in college. And it's like, well, you know, I could use you or I could make do without. Um, but yeah, if there's a high minimum wage, it's going to incentivize me to say, okay, I'll, I'll go without. And so that's why I think that generally policies that, incentivize you to do the right thing rather than arbitrarily require you to do something are going to be better, right? A a policy that says, hey, if you're paying all your employees at least $18 an hour, we'll give you a tax break. Right. What do you think about um, bans on certain items like a shampoo Mm -hmm. ban? Because that that is just a wholesale ban on a product. It's not using incentives. I think they can be necessary. I mean, I think we should ban cigarette butts. Not hmm. the cigarettes, you know, I'm not, I, freedom to smoke, that's fine. But, I mean, look, cigarette butts have just proven to be an impossible item to regulate in any other way. I mean, it's like uh, people don't responsibly dispose of them. Uh, and, you know, the problem is you throw your cigarette butt out in the middle of the city, whatever it is, San Francisco, Santa Cruz, let's say you're on Pacific Avenue, first rain comes along and it washes that butt right into the storm drain, a little toxic pill, and... Um, it's, that's why they're the number one item found in beach cleanups, right? By two and a half to two point five to one. So, how, how would sh- and how would you ban just the butt? I think you would ban the sale of any cigarette that has a plastic filter attached huh. to it, right? And then you know we'd see. Okay, well you can still at least buy rolling tobacco, for example. I mean, there's also cigarettes with non-plastic filters attached to them, um, and I think we'd see the creation of alternatives by the tobacco industry. Hmm. Fine. And now we don't have cigarette butts everywhere. What do you think of the straw ban? 
same. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always annoying to have a limp straw. Those, in those your, things just do not work. But you know, I got a, I got a, I got a pretty <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, I got a pretty cool telescoping metal straw. So yeah, you, you know, the straws were uh, initially invented for women uh, to not get their lipstick smeared. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so it was a very feminine product when it first came oh. out. It was just for women who didn't want to get the, the lipstick. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, look, if you look at a product too, like lead or DDT, mm-hmm. you know, like those, I, I think that probably most conservatives would agree, like, yeah, that's it's good that we put regulations on those products because they were killing kids mm-hmm. uh, and almost wiped out the California condor pol- uh, population right. with DDT. So, yeah, we should regulate uh, dangerous products. Absolutely. And you can't always just rely on goodwill or good incentives um, because if, you know, if, if you're, let's say, a company that's using... Um, DDT and you're ju- you're making so much money from the use of it, then even if you're getting fined, it's still just a business decision to keep using it. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. I'm, I think that uh, one role of government is to um, protect people from harmful pro- uh, projects. Definitely. Pr- products. You yeah. know, that is a lever. Yeah. Um, this is so fun, man. I'm, I'm, I'm learning a bunch. Blast, yeah. yeah, this is great. Um, I, I just want to make sure that we kind of hit most of the bases here. Okay. Anything else that you can think of that uh, are important? That you, what's, the, what's the message to the people, Manu? Okay, well, well, we should talk about housing. Yes. Right? Yes, we should. Okay. Um, so here's the problem with housing in California. It's that even in this county, for whenever you try to build a new one bedroom or studio apartment, you have to provide two parking spaces. And so if you look at two of the projects going in right here in the Pleasure Point area, right, there's the project across from Suda, uh, 3911 Portola. And you look at, at it top down, two thirds of the land area is paved over for a parking lot. And one third of the land area is building. So the cars are killing us, right? And cars are 60% of our carbon emissions. Um, and of course, everyone's like, well, yeah, but if, if I don't have a car, you know, if we don't have cars, well, what are we going to do? It's like, well, okay, let's, first of all, we just el- eliminate minimum parking requirements. San Francisco's already done this. Buffalo, New York has done this because uh, why should we be requiring every new unit to come with two car spaces? Like, you know, maybe two electric bike spaces, sure, but that's a, a lot less of an area. Um, and so with the current regulation uh, around minimum parking requirements, we're just never going to be able to dig our way out of the housing shortfall. I mean, an, another parcel here um, across from People's Coffee, uh, 17th and Bromer. Um, we're getting a mixed-use project there. It's 13 units of housing on one acre of land. Now downtown at 555 Pacific, we just built 99 units of housing on three quarters of an acre. So a difference of 86 units that we could be building. Um, now the reason they were able to build more down there is because they have the shared parking district, the downtown parking district. And so they weren't required to put all that parking on site. Well, okay, let's just get rid of the minimum parking requirements um, and let developers uh, and uh, build however much parking they think is absolutely necessary. Um, and then let's use all the new units we could build, like in this the 17th and Bromer example, 86 new units. Um, that's going to 
provide a lot more money for just for local government, right? Which we can use to fund better bus service and protected bike lanes, right? So let's fund the alternative with all the new housing that we create. It actually can be win-win, right? Our greatest challenge is our greatest opportunity. I had no idea. Yep. Yeah, man. I mean, it's... Uh I like the way that you think from a, a systems perspective and an engineering perspective. And, I, I, you know, a lot of these big issues that affect people, um, I think, can be solved and in, in, in by looking at, you know, a few of those little bugs in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, one thing that I learned um, recently in the, this book called Griftopia by Matt Taibbi. Hmm. He's a reporter for Rolling Stone. Um, he's talking about healthcare, and he said that one of the big issues with healthcare in our country um, is that because we don't have single payer, um, a huge amount of our costs go to administrative fees yep. because there's not one single application mm-hmm. that people can fill out. So mm-hmm. a huge amount of costs for hospitals, um, and just the whole system is going to this one part that nobody really gives a shit about. Yeah. So if you could just simplify that process, we would be saving billions of dollars every single year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all for single pair. The parking spots and the single pair, yeah. those little things. Um, great, man. Well, hey, where can people uh, get in touch with you um, when they w- want to uh, scream at you for not implementing the policies that they want yeah. uh, or to support you on your campaign? Yeah, so it's manukoenig.com, M-A-N-U-K-O-E-N-I-G.com. Uh, and you can also find me at Manu for Supervisor on Facebook and Instagram. Great. Uh, and remind everyone again, wh- uh, when is the election? Right, so the primary is March 3rd. Okay. Which is hugely important. Got to uh, got to be one of the top two there, and make sure the incumbent doesn't get fifty percent or more. Uh, and then, uh, so that's March third, twenty twenty. You're going to get your vote by mail ballot somewhere sometime right after February third. So you know we're going to get through the holidays, and January is going to go by, and before you know it, you're going to be voting. Uh, so that's why the campaign is in full full sprint now. Um, and then uh, you know if I make it. Uh, to the top two, then it'll go to the November 2020 ballot. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Manu, this was hugely inspiring. It's so fun, I Kyle. appreciate you coming in. Um, you have an open spot if you ever want to come back and Thank you. Uh, talk more about this. I love it. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Let's pay more attention to our local politics. Yep. Hey, one vote will we'll be a quantum leap for Santa Cruz. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm digging the, the policies that you're talking about. So Thanks. I'm sold, Manu. All right. Thanks for your vote, Kyle. Yeah, just just no no Facebook photos of you in blackface coming out over the next no. few weeks. No, and oh, I think we'll be okay. But just just delete all those old Facebook photos. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. you know, to, if you're, as long as you weren't big in social media through the night the early two thousands, you should be in the green I'll here. Be okay, all right. Thanks. How for scary the, for though, the, man. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm thinking about it right now. I'm like, like, wait a second. I think I, think, I still have that picture. Yeah. Of, like, are we okay? Okay. There was college. All right. Yep. Like, okay. The, the cell phones weren't huge back then. We're gonna be okay. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Thanks, good stuff, Kyle. man. Thank yep. you very much. Anytime. That's the show. I'm going to play you out with a song by Kevin Craft and the Crafters called Mind's Eye. They are a band that sent me some music, and I will link to their band page in the show notes. Uh, if you're a musician you want to send some tunes, email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send voice memos. Bust out your phone, 
right now. Uh, give me some details about where you are in the world. It uh, doesn't need to be spectacular. Um, it could just be at your office and give me some details about what it looks like and what you're thinking about and some wisdom uh, for this little community of ours and email it to info at kyle.surf and play it. Uh, once again, I'll be down in LA all month. Uh, you know, hit me up. Uh, would love to do a little podcast meetup and if you have guest recommendations, send them my way. Uh, Instagram or my website's good. And finally, uh, I hope to see you all at the Motherfucker Awards on December 3rd. With that, sit back, relax, and enjoy this song called Mind's Eye by Kevin Kraft and the Crafters. See you soon. that you want to be at if you really want to see that in your life manifested put it in your heart let it bless it shine in the essence from the intelligent drum beating to the rhythm of the most high come see the way the universe dances to the illest verse your body dances with when you put your heart first i don't care what you want to do because your mama told the story about the truth.
you